Welcome home. Welcome home. Yeah. Good to be together this morning. It's a beautiful day outside. This is the day the Lord has made. He's done His part. What's ours? Rejoice and be glad in it. Rejoice and be glad in it. Say that with me. Rejoice and be glad in it. One more time. Rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day the Lord has made. I think sometimes it's easy to forget that. We think we make them and we think we plan them and we think we have our schedules laid out and the Lord's in control. We're going to have a scripture reader come up. Come on up, Jed Hudnall. He's going to share a few verses with us. What what grade are you in now? I'm in sophomore. Sophomore. All right. Okay. Playing ball? Yes, sir. Better than your daddy? Oh, yeah. Okay. Good. Good. Uh, (laughs) Get that on camera there, Cherry. Did you get that? All right. Good. Good. All right. All right. Well, read scripture for us, brother. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1, 33 and 40. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For God is not a God of this order, but of peace. As in all the congregations of the Lord's people, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Thank you, brother. Appreciate that very much. Is it not encouraging to see our young people growing up in the Lord? Reading Scripture, by the way, out loud, uh, on purpose in our assemblies, which is something Paul told Timothy to keep going, and it's something I'm proud we do as a church. Uh, Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and we're going to tackle this chapter. Um, I don't know why it is Al got the chapter on love, and I get the chapter on tongue speaking, so I don't... I guess I'm going to have to get more involved in the scheduling of things, I think, David. Maybe I'm hanging out too much. Uh, but, uh, no, uh, he, did a, he did a great job. Uh, by the way, last weekend was an awesome weekend for our church family, right? I mean, it was a great weekend. It's a great weekend. And, uh, and, and look, it was a, uh, which we're going to be talking about the assembly. So uh, that's the assembly last week, very edifying, which is what he's going to tell them it needs to be here. Uh, very edifying, very understandable, intelligible, which is what he tells them here it needs to be. Uh, and something that was very fitting that met our needs, and that's what that was last week. So uh, that was a practice of the positive things of this chapter. And so at the Corinthian church, if you remember, they're having a little struggle with disunity. And it all started back in chapter 1. They're lifting up men over one another, saying, well, I follow this guy, I follow that guy. But they're very immature. This is one consistent thing about the Corinthian church is their immaturity. And so, uh, uh, which, by the way, you always have when you have disunity. You have a lot of immaturity. And uh, so not only were they lifting people up, they were putting up with immorality within the body of Christ and wouldn't confront it because of their, again, immaturity and uh, lack of wisdom on how to handle things. Not only were they putting up with that, they were even putting up with some idol worship. He says, you left that. You've got to stay away from that. Uh, they were, putting, uh, they were uh, messing up the Lord's table 
uh, and preferring one another over each other. And they had this disunity there. They had to kind of get settled in and figure out. Paul had to give them some directions about how to handle that. And there was a misuse of the gifts in chapter 12. Chapter 12, 13, and 14 is one block of, of thought that goes on that Paul writes. Then 12, he said, you've got these gifts, but, but look, you, you've got to think about other people more than you think about the gifts you have. And it was their immaturity, the acting like kids, that caused problems. So no wonder when he gets to chapter 13, he tells them, look, the answer to your problem is you've got to grow up in this thing called love. I mean, you can have all the gifts you want, but if you don't have love, you're nothing. And uh, you can have great faith. You can have a lot of things. But you've got to get this thing on called love. Matter of fact, he says when you grow up, when you become, uh, when that which is perfect is come, that word perfect is going to be used in 1 Corinthians 14 too. It means, it's used, matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians 14, it says adulthood, completeness, maturity is the word. When you become mature, then good things happen. But you're going to have to grow up into this thing. You're going to have to have love. It's going to have to be the basis of everything you do, not satisfying yourself. And so you can have great, great things, faith and hope. They're great. You need to have them. You need to grow in them. But the greatest thing you need to have is what? Love. So does it any, uh, uh, make sense now why he starts out chapter 14 the way he does? Uh, let me... Uh, I'll give you kind of a general outline uh, here if for those that want to do that kind of thing, write it down. Uh, the first part of 14 is going to talk about edification. The middle is going to talk about intelligibility. And the last part is going to talk about effective assembly. So if that helps you, then good. If it doesn't, just forget I said that. Okay. Because uh, I, I don't have any notes down other than my Bible. And I've read and reread and read and reread and read tons of commentaries and all this thing. And you get into the weeds of things. And, and sometimes I'm like, okay, I really, back out of this, let's just look. What's God trying to get across to us in this text? And so that's what we're going to deal with. So he starts off in verse 1. Follow the way of love. This word follow is in the, uh, in the Greek language. It's a present active indicative. It's something that continues on. And the word follow there means hunt. You should get that around here. We're a bunch of hunters, right? But you'll love this part, Paul, because it doesn't say hunt one time. This is in the present tense of that you keep on hunting. Right? You need that, right? You guys keep on hunting. Apparently, mom's uh, wives are saying, please don't tell my husband that right now. Keep on hunting. But what are you hunting? Love. You keep on pursuing it. It becomes the basis of everything you do. Everything that happens in your actions as a, as a Christian is based on this thing called love, which makes sense, by the way, since the greatest command is what? Love God, love others, our mission statement, right? The greatest thing, the important thing about the gospel, share Jesus. So he says, follow love and desire or eagerly desire spiritual gifts. Especially the gift of prophecy. Why? Because you're going to find out in the text he's going to compare two particular gifts that they had a problem with. Tongues and prophecy. And they were lifting one up over the other saying mine's more valuable. And as a result they were causing all kinds of confusion and disunity. The point isn't about the tongues or the prophecy. The point is you can't do things even if you're gifted in them in a way 
that messes up the lives of the brothers and sisters. You can't do that. You can't discourage them. You've got to edify them. Let's just do a little more reading. For anyone who speaks in a tongue, and by the way, this word tongue is the word for language. And everywhere you see it in the New Testament, it always refers to a language. Somehow or another, I know there's controversy here, so let me say this. I, I would not be dogmatic about this. I don't claim to be infallible. I don't claim to have everything right about this text today. Got it? I'm still learning. One reason I didn't want to write anything down or put anything down in concrete is because after I keep studying, I'm, I'm liable to change that pretty quick. I didn't even go back to any old notes that I'd studied before. I didn't go back and read any old sermons or any old lessons I had. I just dove, tried to dive fresh into the context. But when you look in the New Testament, the tongues were languages. In Acts 2, they heard them in their own language. Now, it was unknown, but only unknown because they didn't understand the language. The word unknown, if it's in your, uh, some versions, insert the word unknown, that's not in the original text, by the way. It's a language. I think it's a language of the world. Now, I know some are going to argue for the ecstatic utterances type stuff. I don't personally believe that's what it was. But if you want to go that route, that's okay. The principle of how how you practice that is still going to be true in the text. Okay. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. But everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their what? Strengthening. This is the word for edification. Now, this word is going to come up like seven times in the next few verses, giving you the emphasis and the purpose of his writing. It is to be done for their strengthening, their encouragement, and their comfort. In other words, when we speak something in the assembly... It needs to be strengthening or edifying. It needs to be encouraging people, giving them strength. That, By the way, that's the definition of the word encourage, a transfer of strength. And then sometimes there's the consoling and comforting. We see that happen down on this front, front chairs here all the time. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. So he's comparing the two, saying, look, One, it's just, you you might be getting some out of it yourself, but if people don't understand it, it doesn't do anything for the church. So I would would like every one of you to speak in tongues. He said, it's not a bad thing, but I would rather you have prophecy. He who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in a tongue or a language, unless he interprets so that the church may be, here's our word, edified. If edification doesn't take place, don't even use your spiritual gift in the assembly. Don't even use it. If people aren't edified. Now, brothers, I come to you and speak in uh, tongues. What good will I be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds. And look what he said. He's going to use an illustration now. If I make sounds such as the flute, the harp, how will anyone know what tune's being played unless there's a distinction in the notes? You can't get the message or the song or the harmony from the song or from the instruments unless there's a distinction and they go together somehow or another. They make sense. Have you ever heard a band warming up to play? Have you ever heard a junior high band warming up to play? <laughs> All right. Think confusion. Because that's noise that you're like, 
ooh, I hope it gets better than this, right? I went to a, uh, I went with, uh, uh, Susan and I went with Ryan and Linda last night over to Oak Grove to the Bluegrass Festival. I'm telling you what, now there was some music, and there was some harmony, and there was some playing, and it all made sense and sounded good. And, uh, uh, I, and I'm, a, I'm a big bluegrass fan anyway. I think my voice was made for bluegrass. You know, it's got a twang into it that they can't get out with the mic, with the, all the sound system. They just can't get it out. And so uh, uh, I love it, and it sounds great. But, you know, if they're just up there warming up, each doing their own thing, it doesn't sound like anything. That's what he says here. Again, then he uses a trumpet. If a trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? In other words, when that, that bugle or that trumpet's played, a certain sound of that trumpet says, let's go to, go to war. Another certain sound says, it's time to hit the hay. Another sound says it's time to get up in the morning. So it had messages with its sound. But if it doesn't have a message, it's no good. It's useless. Got it? Without a message, it's useless. So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you're saying? You'll just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world. By the way, the illustration he uses for tongues is known languages in the world. Yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I'm a foreigner to the speaker. This word foreigner is the word uh, for barbarian. Barbarian uh, 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 back then basically just meant an alien that spoke something totally different. Matter of fact, the root word uh, there from barbarian or, or barbar is how they would say it, is actually the word for stammering. In other words, it just sounded like that when you did not know a language. You ever been to a foreign country and uh, all of a sudden uh, uh, you're, you're in the middle of it and you don't, have, you don't know the language? I'm, I, I've been there. It's frustrating. So I'm a foreigner to the speaker. He's a foreigner to me. So it is. Same thing with you, he says. Since you are eager to have spiritual gifts, try to excel in gifts that build up the church. This is what you want to happen. For this reason, anyone who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret what he says. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I'll pray with my spirit. I will also pray with my mind. I'll sing with my spirit. I'll sing with my mind. If you're praising God with your spirit, how can one who finds himself among those who do not understand say amen to your thanksgiving since he does not know what you're saying? You may well be giving thanks well enough, but the other man is not edified. Here it is again. The whole point is, if the church is not edified, it's useless. Now, if you think you're really something because you have a certain spiritual gift, you're like, well, don't tell me I'm I'm useless. Are you kidding me? I'm special. No. No. Not even all spiritual gifts are to be practiced if it's not at a time in the assembly that's useful to the church. How can someone agree with you when they don't understand what you're saying? Does that make sense? Like this if it does, like this if it doesn't. If you don't know, just do that, okay? I just want us to get the whole message. 
of the passage. You've got to do things that make sense that edify the church, even in the use of gifts. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of them. He said, Paul says, I got, I got the languages covered. But now look what he says. This is a great contrast, by the way. Look. But in the church, I would rather speak five. Five. Hold up your hand. Five fingers. I mean, they may be one or two if you got lost one somewhere, but five. I'd rather speak five words. I love you very much. Five words. I, Paul says, I would rather speak five words that people understand to instruct you, uh, others, that rather than 10,000. I don't know how long it would take to do 10,000 words in another language. I'd rather speak five words you understand than 10,000 you don't understand. Got it? Look at the contrast of that thing. Brothers, stop thinking like children. Here it is. Your immaturity is just killing you every time we turn around in this book. In regard to evil, now be infants. Be naive in the, the way the world works. But, it, but uh, in your thinking, be adults. This is the word for mature. Be mature. Be perfect. The same word that's used a lot of times when he says be perfect. Be complete. That's the word. Now he's going to give them an Old Testament illustration. In the law, it was written. Now he's going to quote Isaiah chapter 28, verse 11, if you follow. Though men of strange tongues, these were foreigners, they're Syrians, and through the lips of foreigners, I'll speak to this people, but even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Tongues in our sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. Now, let's talk about this for a minute. This is a really difficult text. And, I, and I'm telling you, I've read so many different scholars on different ways that they uh, thought this Old Testament passage applied to here. But I do know this. Here's what I do know. He takes a text about people who lived in a different country and spoke a different language, capturing the children of God because of their unbelief. They spoke a foreign language. That's the illustration to them who are speaking in languages. Got it? I know that. So what's he tell them? He says, this is going to happen because you're, they were, the Jews were unbelievers. They would not believe what God said and follow his way. So after he had told them, after prophets and prophets and prophets, and they refused to believe, they were unbelievers, they didn't believe God's word, then they were captured by the enemy. And when they're captured by the enemy, then they're in a context where they're around foreigners that they can't even understand what they're saying. What's that a sign of? The sign, it's a sign. The tongues there are a sign. But it's not a sign in a positive way. It's a negative sign. It's a sign of judgment. Because you wouldn't believe, because you remained unbelievers and would not understand and obey God, 
Now you're surrounded by people you can't even understand, and this is the judgment that's on your life. Got it? That's where they were. And now he applies it to them. Well, how does that apply? I thought tongues, I thought tongues were uh, a sign of salvation. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that. And nowhere in the Bible does it say everybody practices that gift either. That's only to a few people that had that gift in the first century. Now, it's, it's a sign to unbelievers of judgment because they cannot understand or have not followed through on, on believing what God's laid out. Now, see if this makes sense. Tongues then are a sign not for believers but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is for believers, not unbelievers. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and someone who does not understand or some unbelievers come in, will they not say they're out of their mind? This is what happens. If they can't understand, what do they say? That's, they're crazy up in here. They're hearing all these languages. They don't understand. They make any sense. And what do they say? They say, this is confusing. They're crazy. So as a result, they're an unbeliever. What happens to them? They stay in their sin. Because they do not, are not related to the truths of God. They don't understand them. But now watch. But if an unbeliever or someone who does not understand comes in while everybody is prophesying, he will be convinced by all that he's a sinner and will be judged by all, and the secrets of his heart will be laid bare, and he'll fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. Did you not see last week at the end of that service when people responded to God, and if you were walking in here and understood and saw what happened to men who had learned the Word of God over a long period of time through a weekend and did it touch their hearts and change their lives, and they respond to God, and people out here are saying, man, God is what? God is right in the middle of that. God is really among them. That's what an assembly should produce. Edification, intelligible information that causes even believers and unbelievers to respond with, God is in this place. Got it? Then he comes to this next section of Scripture. We'll check that watch because we ain't but halfway through, but David's looking, not looking good for an early lunch. Okay. <laughs> Here's the next section of Scripture. Let me, let me kind of give you a little outline of this. He says there needs to be careful communication. There needs to be submissive silence. And there needs to be beneficial order. So if you're all confused about tongue speaking, don't worry about it. You'll forget all about it and be mad at me when I get to the women being silent passage. Now, you women don't laugh out loud too, too, too much. Somebody might use this verse out of context and try to rebuke you. All right, here's what he says. What then shall we say, brothers? 
When you come together, everyone has a hymn or a word or instruction or revelation, a tongue, an interpretation. All of these must be done for the, here's the purpose of them, strengthening or edifying of the church. If anyone speaks in a tongue or a language, two or at the most three should speak one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there's no interpreter, the speaker should, now look at this word, it's one word in the Greek, keep quiet in the church and speak to himself, not to God. Now he says there's, this has got to be done in an order. There's an order to things. Now matter of fact, he's going to tell you why that order is important, because God's a God of order and God of peace. And the assembly should, the assembly should reflect the character of God. So, so here's what he does. They're having a problem with the tongues, and it could be a problem with anything else, but their particular problem was tongues and prophecy. And he says the practice of that is one or two at a time and three at the most. And there are different times. There's got to be an order to it. Which, by the way, otherwise you ought to be quiet. And that's word for quiet is the word for shut your mouth. Totally silent the word don't say a word he says you keep silent now the reason that's important is because that tells you something that nobody has a spiritual gift that overwhelms them where they just have to do it and that they have no control the the person always has control of the gift that god gives them they're never out of control anybody that tells you all something the spirit came on me and i just got out of control you little red flag go up in your mind because the Bible says a person is never out. Of, matter of fact, self-control is the fruit of the Spirit. Lack of self-control tells you it's not the Spirit. Okay, here's what he says. Two or three prophets should speak and the others should wait carefully what is said. So they didn't have all the Word of God. That's why these gifts were important in the apostolic church. They didn't have it like we do. So they're weighing it out, different ones. And then a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down. The first speaker should stop. This word stop is the same word where it tells the tongue speakers to be silent. Exact same word in the Greek. He tells two groups so far to be quiet. Tongue speakers and prophets. For you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets. Here it is again. The gift, the spirit of the prophecy, it's controlled by the prophet. He doesn't have to just get out and speak it. He controls that. Why? God is not a God of disorder but of peace as in the churches. Of the, uh, uh, all the churches of the saints. Now, by the way, in some versions, they're going to take that phrase and attach it to the next sentence. But in the original language, that, ver- that end of that verse, as in all the churches, goes with the sentence before it. God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. That's the kind of God He is. Then He tells... Another group. Women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak but must be in submission as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at, uh, they should ask their own husbands at home. For it's, a dis- it's disgraceful for a woman to speak in church. Oh, wait a minute. 
How does that make sense? Since in earlier chapter in Corinthians, he told women were praying and prophesying, right? Right? Yeah, they were. How were they doing it? He said they got to do it in a way with the veil to say that the gift I'm practicing, I'm not getting out of line with who I am as God's woman. Because he says, if you don't do that, well, you might as well shave your head if you're going to act like a man look like him. That's basically what he says in the text. But you don't want to be, you don't want to be seen as being out of, out, out, out of character as to what God wants you to be as a woman. So when you do speak, when you do have prayer, prayer prophesy in a, an assembly, you put a veil on. That's what, he, that's what we learned earlier. So he's not saying women can't speak. So who are these women? Now, the word for woman here, well, first of all, let me get the word for silent. The word for silent is siago. And it's the same word as the tongue speakers are told to be silent, the prophets are told to be silent, and the women are told to be silent. All three are told to be silent. Why? Because the problem was disruption in the assembly, and all of them were causing disruption. So in this context, he's telling them, stay away from that that's causing disruption in the assembly. Be quiet. Close your mouth. Why? Because you're embarrassing your husbands. They're the prophets, and you're speaking up against them. The word woman, there's, no, there's not two words for woman and wife. There's only one word in the Greek, gene. And this, deciding if it means woman or deciding if it means wife depends on the context. I personally think, this is where I'm at in my study right now, I can be totally wrong. I've been wrong before. It's not new territory for me. But I think in my study that this, this should be translated wife. It's the wives of the prophets who are speaking out about what their husbands are saying in the public assembly. And one of the reasons I think that's because he says they remain silent as the law says. Well, there's nowhere in the law that it says that. Find that verse for me. But what I do have in the law is that a woman is to be submissive to her husband. That's in there. We've got that. That's, not, that's an old, that's New Testament, well, that's, all, that's, that's all in the Bible. we got that. we got the relationship roles. It has nothing to do with value. They're equally value in Christ, right? But there's a relationship order there that he even addressed earlier in Corinthians. The head of man is God, the, the head of woman is man, and the, uh, you remember that? section so i think what was happening here just like the tongue speakers were being disruptive and the prophets were being disruptive i think the wives of the other prophets were being disruptive and he tells all three of them the exact same thing be quiet now this ain't a word of be quiet with quiet spirit this is the word that shut your mouth and don't say a word because what you're saying is what causing disunity what you're saying is disruptive to the assembly. Now, if you have another view of that, I'm okay. I think we cannot be dogmatic. We cannot be dogmatic, and we must be spiritually sensitive to people who view this text different. About tongues, prophecy, or the women's role. That's my take on it. And then he says in this next, next little last section as we wrap up, did the Word of God originate 
with you? No. Now think about that question for a prophet. If he's been inspired by God to deliver a revelation, what's he apt to think? That word originated with me. God says, no, that word didn't originate with you. Are you the only people it's reached? You guys, you think you're special? You think you're the only? Huh. God's been speaking through people for years and years before you were ever on the scene. If anybody thinks he's a prophet or spiritually gifted, let him uh, acknowledge that what I'm writing to you is the Lord's command. So weigh these things out. In NIV it says, if he ignores this, he himself will be ignored. And uh, the original word therefore ignore is actually the word idiot. If he's an idiot about these things, just let him be an idiot about it. That's an interesting verse. Look, dig into that one sometime. Therefore, my brothers, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done. And my old, my old King James Church of Christ comes out of me. Everything should be done decently and in order. And I thought about that one time. I thought, well, I've really never seen anybody be indecent in church. But I mean, I've seen a few come close, I thought. But, you know, indecent, not decently in order. But it actually, literally what it really means is fitting and orderly. In other words, it's beneficial to the assembly. So your assembly is effective when people, then there's an order to it. Why? Because God is a God of order and of peace as he is in all the churches. That's what he says. They did not have order, they did not have peace, and as a result, they did not have unity, and they did not have edification. And he's correcting all those things. And he's going to say the really real basis of it is you guys got to grow up. You need to follow love and chase after that. That's what mature people do. You need to edify people and not think about yourself, not elevate yourself above others. David always says to the staff, People trump schedules. I like that. It tells us who's important. But not only that, Dave, people trump spiritual gifts. The edification and love of the brothers overrides any gift you might want to use in a harmful way. Don't do harm. Be helpful. Edify, encourage. So there's careful communication. There's submissive silence. The tongues, speakers have to be submissive to one another. The prophets have to be submissive to the other prophet that has a revelation. And the wives of the prophets have to be submissive to their husbands and ask the questions when they get back to the house. There's careful communication. There's submissive silence. And there's beneficial order. To the assembly of God's people. Woo! I feel like I've said a mouthful in whatever time I've taken up. Here's here's my deal. This right here, I've been preaching on it this morning. It's just the Bible. You read your Bible. 
for yourself. You're grown people. God can guide you. The Word can lay bare, like it did there, our faults and grow us up. It's where we get nourishment. Don't run off into your preferences of what you believe without diving into the Word of God first. Dive into this book. Be honest with it. I'm trying to be as honest with the text as I can. I know I bring preconceived ideas to it when I study. And if you're very old at all, you're going to do that. But, but that's okay. Dive into the book. Be honest with it. God's not going to lead us the wrong way. But one thing is clear to the Corinthian church. There's something more important than this. And you know what it's going to be? The next verse in the Bible. Brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preach to you, which is of first importance. So between chapter 13 and chapter 15, you've got the greatest is love and the gospel is first. Love God, love others, share Jesus. Don't get off mission. Getting tangled up into the jungle of theology that's hard to understand. Study, read, but don't let that be the most important thing in your life at all. Now, I'll, I'll, I'll be glad to sit down and talk and study with anybody and let you know where I'm at in my study. And it may or may not be where I'm at 10 days from now. But there's a lot more important things in my life. It's about how I get my friend that's lost into Christ. It's about the message of the gospel changing somebody's life. And I don't want any of my spiritual activity to make it confusing or to get in the way of unbelievers' hearts being moved by the gathering of God's people. Father, we love you. We need your wisdom. We need your discernment. We know that your word is powerful, the sword of the Spirit. It cuts men's hearts. I pray, Father, that I would always have an open and honest heart and spirit toward your words. I pray, Father, you help us to grow and mature. Please rescue us from immaturity like the Corinthian church had. Give us unity. Give us encouragement. Give us strength, Father, to walk the way you want us to walk. Most important thing in this room right now, Father, is that everyone in here walk out a believer in Jesus Christ knowing they're right with you. So prick hearts, Father, because of Jesus. Help the other things we do not to get in the way of men hearing the message that changes their lives. We're thankful for your grace. Guide us. Forgive us. Grow us to look like Christ. In His name we pray and the church says, if you got a need, come on down front and make it known. We'll take care of it. God bless you.